morning, church. Pastor Hart here again. Good to be with you. We're celebrating our this Sunday here in the celebration of FH Strong, Jesus Strong in our lives and what that looks like. We've been hearing stories from different people all throughout the church about how God has been strong in their lives and how they have leaned onto him for all of his help and all of his blessing and all of his encouragement. Today, Ernie and Jenny Satherwaite are going to share their story with us. So please watch and listen as they share their testimony of God being strong in their lives and leading them to true freedom. Jenny and I have made every financial mistake in the book, but we were just living like we thought we were supposed to live. Everyone has student loans, car payments, credit card debt. It's normal, right? I took my student loans a step further. My parents had saved for my college, so I didn't really need to take out loans. But I really wanted to learn to fly, and I, and I deserved to learn to fly. While I worked throughout college, it was never enough to pay for all the flying, so that's what I used my students' loans for, was flying. We met in Helena, Montana at Carroll College. Upon graduation, I got a job in Detroit, Michigan, and Jenny was offered a position in Cody, Wyoming. I asked her to marry me, and I left for Detroit. She said yes, and we set a date for the next June of 1986. Jenny visited me in Detroit and didn't take her long to decide that Detroit was not where she wanted to raise children. So right before we were married, I quit my job, and I moved back to Montana, and I found a job as a commercial pilot in Helena. We started our marriage living 300 miles apart. I had my dream job, but I gave up the job when an opening at Marathon Oil where Jenny was working, and we were finally together. I am an, a retired accountant. For the first 15 years of our marriage, I paid all the bills. Many times, there just wasn't enough money, and instead of asking Ernie for help, I decided to just handle it and rob Peter to pay Paul. I just didn't want to admit that we were spending more than we were earning and that I needed help in making ends meet. But I did need help. When we moved to South Carolina, we couldn't sell our house in Cody, Wyoming. So we did a deed in lieu of foreclosure and gave the house back to the bank. We also cashed out my post-tax 401k for a down payment on a house in South Carolina. Well, it turns out we didn't even need a down payment because the banker was creative and gave us an 80% mortgage and a 20% personal loan. We had a 100% loan on a brand new house and a toaster, compliments of the bank. Debt only increased from there, but the highlights include buying new cars, financing a $700 bag phone, one of the first cell phones available, buying an Ethan Allen couch and love seat, and taking a loan from my 401k for graduate school. I even borrowed from my parents. In 1991, we had our third son, and Jenny really wanted to stay home with him. There was just no way financially, and it broke our hearts. We felt like we had no choice in the matter, and our hands were not only tied, they were chained. But we were just living like everyone else, right? In 1995, we started attending church regularly for the first time in our marriage. We loved it, and eventually started giving regularly as well. There was a church building campaign, and we signed up totally in faith. We trusted God that we would be able to help. 
The church was overflowing with three services every Sunday in a rented daycare center. Once we committed to the Lord, he opened up a new world to us. During this campaign, one Sunday sermon outline included a refrigerator verse to hang on the refrigerator. We have kept it on our fridge for 23 years. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In 1998, God introduced us to Dave Ramsey and also provided me with a second job teaching classes around the country once a month. These two things gave us the tools to get out of debt. It was not an easy path. It meant saying no to a lot of things we were used to doing and having. It was not easy for our children either to understand at first, but looking back, it provided them with a solid foundation to build their lives upon. It took us two years to pay off all of our debts except for our house. Cars are one of our greatest downfalls. From 1998 to today, we have purchased only four cars, two of which we were able to pass on to our children. But when we moved to, across the country from South Carolina to Boise it's in 2000, Ernie drove a 1992 Chevy Corsica with over 150,000 miles towing a small U-Haul trailer and with our two large dogs in the back seat. I followed two months later in the F-150. Ernie still drives that 22-year-old Ford F-150 today. It's his badge of honor. <laughs> God didn't just give us financial peace. When the pandemic hit, Ernie had just retired and we just started building this hangar. We had financial peace. It didn't prevent us from having to stop and take a deep breath every now and again and repeat Proverbs 3, verse 6. We know that God will always be there for us. He gave us the courage and the tools to obtain financial peace. God gave courage uh, to Jenny and to Ernie as they sought to appropriate his truth into their lives. They sought to put his word first and to follow him and to trust him for how they would live their lives. And in that, you heard them speak about how they went from their hands being tied and their lives feeling like they were in chains to being free, free to be able to follow Christ and free to be able to go forward, living in peace with God and not being enslaved to things. In our world today, the world's on fire and it's struggling over the idea of who owns what and who owned what and when, when did it trade hands and all those kinds of things. I mean, lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Jesus said we would have this kind of trouble. In John chapter 16, verse 33, we've, we've used this as a key verse in our study during this period of time. It says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has truly done this, and he's offering it to you and I that we would walk in this kind of peace. Like you, I have fears. I have worries, concerns, things that I need to pray about, things that I want to worry about. Here's what I found, is that worrying about something is essentially praying to myself. And if you know how to worry, you know how to pray. The difference is, is that we move our worry from ourselves to where we bring them to God. It says in the scripture, let your requests be made known 
to God. So we don't have to live by fear. We don't have to live in a, in a world that is driven by fear. We have the ability to live by faith. And Jesus Christ offers that to us himself. We're living in a time when the world's foundations are being shaken, where people are struggling to figure out what's right, what's wrong. How do I go forward? Is society going to crumble? Is society going to change? Where do we go and how do we go forward? In this battle that's raging for people, there's the battle of hearts, minds, and souls where people are trying to discover what it is that really matters. We've talked about this over the last four weeks, and I want to just recap it for you because I think it's so important that you see that when we've talked about being FH strong, we're talking about the very things that Ernie and Jenny poured into their lives, and that is this. First was that we would choose character. Character isn't given to us. We have to actually choose it. We choose to be courageous, which means this. We choose to ask God to go for us and before us and to fight our battles. The second one is, is that even in the midst of these difficult times, we are called to sharpen our character, not just be a dull knife, but actually be a sharpened character in the hands of God, working and moving forward to be people of character. The third one is that we rely on God's power. You heard Heather's story a couple of weeks ago where she talked about in her own life how she fell off that waterfall and how she held on to God for the strength to go forward. Last week we talked about focus, what it means to focus our lives on God's, um, on Jesus so that we can actually live our lives based on what really matters. Today we're going to move forward. We're going to ask this question. What does living an FH strong look, life look like when it comes to freedom? What does biblical freedom look like? How do we operate in biblical freedom and how do we actually see that and play in our lives? Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26, gives us a beautiful teaching about how God gave us the blessing of living in freedom. Look at it with me. You see, my brothers and sisters, we were called to be free. You see, freedom is God's idea. It's not a governmental idea. It's not some great idea that a university professor came up with. It was actually God's idea. We were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I want to bring something in and seed it right here with you, and that is this. The moment we are taught about living a biblically free life is that he comes along and says this, is that we have the rights of freedom and we have the responsibilities of freedom. It's right here. Here are the responsibilities. Rather, serve one another. Uh, sorry, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Rights coupled with responsibilities. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will destroy by each, you will be destroyed by each other. See, in this process, the whole idea of freedom is this, is that your well-being matters as much as my well-being, and I have rights, and you have rights, and I have responsibilities, and you have responsibilities. If you look further in the verses, he goes on to say this, so I say, walk by the Spirit of God, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. One of the key parts about living a life of freedom, and we'll look into it here in a moment, is this, is that we have to learn that freedom comes with self-governance, that we guide our lives. The, pro the, the beauty of the scripture is this, is that God laid out for us a model for what it looks like to have freedom. 
We're seeing what it looks like to live in a godless culture. Unfortunately, all the things that the godless culture has sewn into its uh, very fabric, it has mocked God when it comes to relationships. It has mocked God when it comes to owning stuff but not being owned by it. It has mocked God with saying we can gorge our lives with, we, with whatever we want to, and those are not truths. We see a world now that is struggling because of it. These verses give us five steps to building a biblically-based life on what it looks like to follow Jesus in freedom. I want you to see the first one, and that is this, is that we were made by God to live in freedom within the boundaries set by our Creator. There are boundaries to freedom. It's not about building a wall. This is about building a life that says, there are things that I can have, but make sure that they don't have me. The difference between owning something and being owned by something. God's freedom is a gift to humanity. The human soul was created by God to be free. It's why everyone right around the world longs to have a sense of being free and having a life that matters. But to reap the full benefit of what God intended, we have to understand what freedom actually looks like. Freedom is the ability to do this. I want you to pay attention on this one is, is that freedom is the ability to live your life choosing which boundaries and from what form of self-governance you want to place your life. It's choosing your boundaries and knowing what form of self-governance you want to guide your life. Freedom is not a reckless, self-indulgent trip in, in the world where we just gain everything and get everything that we want and everything that the world wants to offer us. That's not freedom, it's actually slavery. You heard Jenny and, and Ernie talk about the slavery of not only owning things, but things now owning them. One of the great struggles of our day is this, is that we live in a world that's filled with shops called Stuff Mart. We can get stuff over here and stuff over there and stuff, uh, stuff for our house, stuff for our car, stuff for our life. Here's a line I use with my kids. And again, they'll probably go, yeah, I don't ever hear that because they probably don't hear it even though I say it is this is that you can only wear one pair of jeans and one shirt at a time. You can only wear one pair of jeans and one shirt at a time. There's only so much stuff that we need. We do not need to gorge our lives with things that actually turn out to enslave us. One of the weirdest parts of freedom is that we often use our freedom to put ourselves in slavery. And yeah, I use this thing as a clicker to kind of move myself along with my sermon. But these things can also become the worst tyranny in our lives. They can enslave us in ways that actually begin to ruin our lives. Another place that is a great privilege that comes with great responsibility, it's seen in driving. How many of you have got kids that you've trained how to drive? Raise your hands if you have. You are people of faith for sure, right? You know what it feels like. I see someone back in the back going, oh, that's coming and I'm not ready for that. I have, we have four biological children and we have three adopted sons. They're not literally legally adopted, but they are part of our family. Our three adopted sons' names are Ricardo, Julio, and Juan Pablo. He goes by JP. And in our lives, they round out our lives in the most wonderful ways. We spend life together. We pray together. We, we have seriously just become a family in, in, in every sort of way. And in that process, of our seven kids, if you will, six of them are drivers, Shadley and I have been with each of them as they went through the experience of a prayer-filled, faith-building walk on our part to watch them as they bought their first cars and as they learned to drive and as they figured out that it's not only a right that's afforded to them, it also comes with great responsibility to drive a car. One of the big, biggest lessons that we tried to explain to them is this, is that you are in a 5,000-pound device that will take you to the greatest places in the world. But if you don't understand how powerful it is, it will destroy your life 
like that. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a great privilege of driving, but there's a great responsibility that goes along with it as well. Driving a car opens up the whole world to us, right? You remember when you were a teen? Remember that feeling of putting the keys in the car and driving off for the very first time? I remember that. I remember thinking, I've got this. I've got the world figured out. I'm going to go wherever I want. I get to see my friends when I want. Remember that walk of shame when your parents took you up to someone's house and you knocked on the door and your girlfriend or guy friend came out and you're sitting there and go, hey, do you want to go for a ride with me and my chauffeur? I mean, my parents. We've been in that, right? But what driving does is it opens us up to this joyful moment of going, the world's in front of us. Well, we have to see this, and I hope you'll see this analogy here, and that is, is that there are rights and privileges that also come with great responsibilities. If you're a parent as well, and we've experienced this with our kids too, is, is that you know when you get an off-hour call from one of them, or you get a call from a phone number, and you pick it up and you go, uh, who is this? Well, two weeks ago, I, I got one of those calls. I talked with JP, and JP had had a, a, a wreck at three o'clock in the morning, and it was devastating to him. Thank God. I mean, my first question was, are you okay? And he was okay and he was fine. He'd actually called me the day after. And in that process, I just praised God and I prayed with him that he was all right. And in that process, one of the things he said was as well as he said, man, I thought I had this. I thought I had this. Life can change in a quick moment. Freedom is the same way. Is that freedom, we think we have it. And then before you know it, all of a sudden, everything is in chaos. Remember this line, while the world is in chaos, our God is not in chaos. Our God is actually in control and he's leading our lives and he offers you and I the power and the strength and the ability to focus in a way that brings us biblical freedom. This morning when we're talking about this great privilege and this great responsibility, there's also something else that, that, that I want to look into and that is our country was founded on biblical principles of people who said we want to have both those rights and those responsibilities. We want to live a free life. Those founders fled the tyranny of Great Britain or of England and clutching their Bibles and their beliefs that all people were created to be free, they came here. And yes, yes, it took eight decades for everyone to gain that form of freedom. And there's been a long march that keeps continuing on that we would all have that freedom that is offered to us by those founding documents. But this freedom that we've been given here is a precious gift. It's a phenomenal gift. I don't know about you. I've traveled the world. I mean, I've been everywhere. I've been in more countries than I can count. I've been into countries, and I, I won't mention the name of them, but I remember going into one of them in Southeast Asia. And as a pastor, I would not have been allowed to go in. As a business person, I was allowed to go in. And I remember going in and thinking, man, wh what if they don't let me out? I remember looking at this as well and looking at the people. And again, I won't mention this, the, this country because maybe the Lord will call me to go back there and do more work in that place. Uh, but I just remember thinking they have all the responsibilities of citizenry, but they have none of the rights and privileges that I've come to know and love and celebrate. We have been given a phenomenal gift here, a phenomenal gift. In dictatorships, people only get responsibilities. In this great grand experiment called the United States of America, we have been given rights and responsibilities. And why are we given responsibilities? Because friends, life is filled with risks, loads of risks. I want you to see the, the Declaration of Independence with me because the power of this document is that it was actually based on biblical truths that undergirded it. And Galatians 5 was seriously a part of all of that. So I want you to see the document. Let's look at it for a moment. 244 years ago yesterday, 
the Declaration of Independence was signed. And I, I, I printed it out, and some of us in our family, we read it and looked at it this week. But here's what it says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That's such an important statement. And maybe you've seen it, maybe you study it, maybe you haven't. But the important part about that statement that we need to know is this, is that the founding constitutional documents of our country started with this idea. God is the one who gives us unalienable rights. It's not the state. Remember this, if God gives everyone around the world those rights and those privileges, they are God's to give to them, not the state. Because here's the important part. If God gives them, they can't be taken away. If the state gives them, they can be taken away. The constitution of this great country was started with the idea that everyone has these rights, and they set it in their document, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, it goes forward and says this, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government or from the governed. And the point of that is this, is that we live in a great grand experiment that said this, we'll give to others leadership authority over our lives as we all go forward in this pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We said that others coming from out of our bodies of our communities, that they would go forward and that they would ensure our rights and they would call us to further responsibilities. That's in this document. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it, to abolish it. We are, it, it. It's a participatory environment. It's saying you're a part of this. You be engaged in the process as well. Then you go a little bit further and see what the document says. And it's to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form. We have the privilege of voting. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to ask you this. Please exercise that privilege and the responsibility of being a person that votes. It's right here in our document. And as to them, shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. The whole point of it is this, is that we would ensure our safe being and that we would also say to each other, we have the right to be able to go forward and say, you know what, live a life of goodness. Live a life of goodness. It's right here in that document. Then it says this last line, read it here. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. That government that's built shouldn't just be tossed out because there were a few struggles and troubles and problems along the way. Good Lord knows we've all faced troubles and we've all had difficulties. That document is singular in the world in its blessing of freedom and its encouragement to live a life of freedom. Our kids, I asked them this week if they uh, still sp say the Pledge of Allegiance in their schools. <coughs> Excuse me. And they do. In fact, the kids said that in grade school, they said it in the morning every day, and in the late in secondary school, they always said it after lunch. I want to read that to you again because I want, I want you to read the pledge to you for a minute because I want you to hear this and what it says about rights and responsibilities. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. We are citizens of heaven before we're citizens of a country or of a state or of a city. Just remember that. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're saying my well-being is as important as your well-being. That's built into the things that we say in this country. 
If you go to the U.S. government website where it talks about becoming a new citizen, it speaks to the rights and responsibilities we have as well. Uh, when my family, uh, you all think that maybe, you know, I've got an American accent now and all those kinds of things. I, I, I landed in New Jersey in 1979, a 13-year-old young man. Uh, my family, we got off of the plane, we walked down on the tarmac, and I'll never forget my mother and her German accent coming up to me and, and my brother and my sister, and she said, we're in America now. We're going to talk like Americans, we're going to act like Americans, and we're going to become Americans because this is now our country. I'll never forget it. I remember where we were. I can still see, you know, back in the day, I was wearing a little three-piece suit, 13-year-old kid, you know, probably had boogers on it and all that kind of stuff, right? But here I was in this country, and we were now going to give the freedom, get the freedoms and the responsibilities that come with it. Let me read a few of the rights and responsibilities that are actually on our website about what it means to come to the country and to be a citizen. And this is for all of us who are citizens as well. It's not up here. It's on my screen. Freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It says on that, do on that document on the website, we have the freedom to express ourselves, freedom to worship as we wish, the right to a prompt and fair trial by jury, the right to vote in elections for public officials, the right to run for elective office. All these are rights that are afforded to us. Now listen to the responsibilities that are put up. Support and defend the Constitution. Stay informed in the issues affecting your community. We're called, another responsibility, participate in the democratic process. It's a participatory process, not just to sit back and say, oh, it's crud the way it's going. It's actually get in the game and be involved in our neighborhoods. It says, respect and obey the federal, state, and local laws. Respect the rights, beliefs, and opinions of other people. These are responsibilities that our own government says we are called to do because we get rights coupled with responsibilities because that's how we mitigate the risks of the danger of living a life uh, without the sense of we own a part of this responsibility in our own lives. We have the responsibility to serve on a jury. We have the responsibility to defend the country if need be, uh, if things require that. On our current website, it talks about these rights and, and responsibilities. I want you to hear what John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, here's what he said about freedom. The great revolution in the history of all mankind, past, present, and future, is the revolution of those determined to be free. If you want to read a good book, it's by Natan Sharansky. It's called uh, The Case for Democracy. He spent nine years in a gulag in the Soviet Union uh, because he was willing to stand up for the right to be free, and he finally was made free. You'll notice that people who have not had freedom are desperate for it. Friends, we have it here, and it comes off of our biblical understanding, and it comes out of those biblical truths. So that's the first point, is that we are called to rights and privileges. The second one is that freedom affords us the ability to choose our own commitments, to figure out what matters to you. If you want to have a truck, you want to have a car. You want to live in a house, you want to live in a trailer. You want to live wherever you want to live. Those are freedoms that you have. But freedom allows you to make your own commitments. It's the irony of life is that freedom isn't just, yeah, whatever. Freedom is, I choose to do this. That's a blessing. You have no idea the number of people around the world that would die for and actually do die for the, the desire to want to have that kind of freedom. But there's a big lie that comes along with that freedom, and that is this, is that the world says, yes, have everything you want, and it's all here for you to have. And what it does is it creates slaves out of free people. It puts people into bondage. There's a verse, maybe some of you know it, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. 
You know what the next verse is after that when it talks about childhood in Proverbs? <coughs> Excuse me. The next verse says this. The rich rules over the poor. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. One of the greatest entrapments of our culture is, here, here, it's free money. Take it. Just because we can afford something does not mean we need to have it. God offers a better way for us. The third part is, is that freedom only exists within the context of healthy self-governance. Knowing when to say, I've got enough. Look what the verse says. Is that you, my brothers, were called to freedom, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Just because we can buy it doesn't mean that we ought to buy it. Just because we can own something doesn't mean we should be owned by something. We need to know the difference because it's vitally important. Look at verses 19 to 21. They actually tell us what a life looks like when our desires begin to own us and take away our freedoms. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, that life is a life of slavery. It's a life of slavery to stuff. It's a, it's a life of slavery to our passions. It's a life of slavery to the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Here's the struggle of our world. Everybody thinks it's a freedom struggle. You know what the real struggle is? is that we're all fighting for our passions to be the most important for everybody else. That's not freedom. That's not freedom at all. We in this country have mocked God, and we have mocked what it means to be a follower of God. We have mocked the value of unborn life. We have mocked the value of a biblical relationship. We have mocked the value of what it means to have a biblical family. We've mocked the values that go along with prudence and temperance. We've mocked those values. And unfortunately, what's going on in our culture is we're now facing the repercussions of that. We're in that dire strait simply because we got so impassioned and we let our lusts drive our lives rather than the Lord drive our lives. And here we are now, slaves to our own sin. God has a better way. You've heard me say it over and over again. Jesus strong, FH strong is this, is that God has a way that calls us to not live in that kind of slavery. You heard Ernie and Jenny's story again, and here it is this, is that what decisions do you and I need to make this week that say, no longer am I going to be enslaved? Maybe it's putting down the phone for a week and saying, you know what? I'm turning it off. I'm not going to let it own me. I'm going to own it. You decide what it is. But I would suggest to you that living a life of freedom means that we have to live different than the world around us. If you need everybody else to applaud your life, you're probably going to live a life enslaved to stuff that they want you to be a part of. God says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but couple it with temperance. If we don't cover it with temperance, it begins to own us. The Latin word, by the way, temperar, which means to restrain oneself. What in your life do you need to dial back? What in my life do I need to dial back? What in our life is encroaching upon our freedom that we've actually let it come in on its own? Jesus said, don't build your house on the sand, build your house on the rock. Romans chapter six actually gives us some wonderful teaching about it. Maybe you'll follow along here with me. It says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at the time when the things you are now, uh, by doing now, the things that you are ashamed of. 
Those things resulted in death. Those things begin to own our lives. We call them addictions in our world, right? We call those things that, that, that seriously take over our lives. And what do those addictions do? Here's what happens. Is that one person has the problem, get this, and someone else usually writes the check for it. That's how addiction usually works. Because what happens is now, is even in our own world, we said, wow, no, I'm not responsible for my own things. The gospel says we are. We're responsible for our own lives. Look at verse 22 and what it says. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead you to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. Again, we come back to that freedom of God. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's on offer. That's what's on offer. The fourth thing, freedom presupposes a human conscience that considers the well-being of others. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the second part there. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, part of what this country was established with, and this is one of the beautiful things I love about Idaho, is that there's a sense that my neighbor's well-being is my well-being. My neighbor doing well is me doing well. You read back into the scriptures in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, where you like to read the verses, starting with verse 11, it says, God has these wonderful, great plans for us. But verse 7 starts out and says this, is that pray for the well-being of the city that you live in, that it may go well for them and it may go well for you. That is the notion that my neighbor's well-being matters as much as my well-being. That's straight out of the book. If we don't do that, the verses give the outcome. The outcome is this. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, the great enemies of America, they, don't have to, they won't send any bombs. They won't send any troops. They won't send any aircraft carriers. What they'll do is simply say, here, go ahead, fight it out. Destroy yourselves. Destroy each other. That's what we watch. It's going on. The antidote for the virus of self-indulgence that destroys our lives is the willingness to say my, my neighbor's life matters as much as my life matters. I did a wedding this week up in the western part of Colorado and there was these two friends who were standing on their porch looking out over the White River Valley. It was beautiful. And, and in that process, I read part of this scripture and one of the scriptures or what I said to them is this. I said, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And I said, hey, do yourself a favor. Turn to your neighbor, uh, turn to the person standing next to you and that is your first neighbor. You want to know how to love them? Love them how you would love to be loved. Here's one of the great mistakes we make in the world. You ready? We all want world peace, but we don't have the courage to do neighbor-to-neighbor peace. We all want world peace, but we don't have the courage to do neighbor-to-neighbor peace. What would it look like if you went next door to one of your neighbor's houses today and you brought them something over? Instead of complaining about something in your yard, what if you actually went over and blessed them and helped them in their yard? What if your neighbor, their well-being mattered to you? What if my neighbor's well-being mattered to me? I think the world would change one neighborhood at a time because self-governance starts neighbor by neighbor, starts with me and my wife, me and my children, me and the people that live around me. Same for you. Same for you. What if instead we wanted world peace? What if we said, the bumper sticker said, let's have neighborhood peace? Because the only way we'll get to one is that we start with the other. That's how God intended it to be. There are three things that you and I can do to bless our neighbor. 
And, and that is this. We can share with them our talents. If you've got a gift for something they need, use that gift to bless them in their lives. The, th- the second one is this, is that you can give them the time of your life. Instead of just waving through the windshield or waving over the back, uh, the back uh, fence, what if what we did was is that we actually stopped our car, put it back in park, went over and said, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. And really genuinely cared about their lives. Um, the third one is, is that we give. And that is, is that we also take care of our neighbor by saying, you know what? I will give to you when you have a need. I will look out for you. If you need something helped on, I will help you on that. These are God's blessings. The fifth one is this, is that the blessing comes from self-governed freedom are the foundation of living a truly blessed life. A truly blessed life looks like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gets this, against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. They will not put you in jail for being patient with your neighbor. They will not put us in jail for caring for our neighbor. They will actually, in fact, see that we're building a community and we're building a city, we're building a, a state, we're building a country, we're building a world that says, I have rights and I have responsibilities. The blessing of God poured out on us in this church is this, is that he called on us here to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Go back to JP for just a moment. When JP had that accident, you know, he felt bad. He felt awful. I was so joyful that he was just okay. You know what's amazing is JP is a wonderful husband to his wife, Kayla, and he has two beautiful little children. I'll show you a picture one of these weeks of JP and Kayla and their kids. They're beautiful, beautiful. You know what JP has done is he stepped up and said, you know what? It's my responsibility. I'll take care of it. I will fix these things. He saw rights and responsibilities are how we live that life of faith. We were called to freedom, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, let us serve one another. May the peace of God be upon you, church. It's good to be with all of you. The notes have been online. You can go back and look at them as well. We're going to do discussion questions now online. May the Lord bless you and keep you and care for you on this day. Peace of Christ. Whenever I hear a pastor give a message, it stirs me to action. I want to take a step forward. It's not enough to simply hear good news. I want to live good news. I want to experience it right now. If you're sensing this as well, then you should take a step closer to Jesus. Here's how you can do it. You can download our booklet, How to Connect to Jesus, from our website. Start your journey with Jesus today. If you haven't been baptized as an adult, we would love to help you get baptized. Just text FHBAPTISM to 97000. Do you need someone to pray with you? Text FH Prayer to 97000. And finally, if you're ready to serve in ministry and discover your purpose in life, then text FH Serve to 97000. If you're doing church at home, then please continue your conversation by doing these discussion questions. They'll remain on the screen for 15 minutes. My final challenge for you to do is this Who do you know that needs to hear this message? Why not share it with them? All it takes is one click and it just might change their life forever. Let today be the day when you take one step closer to Jesus.